Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Alarmy. Before we get started, we wanted to make sure you heard the big news. The Alarmist has joined Patreon. Patreon subscribers will get access to our content ad-free, as well as our aftermath post-interview discussion and final verdict. We'll also be putting out additional bonus episodes and other fun stuff. Here's a preview of Guest Alarmist, where I step aside and let a guest walk us through a personal tragedy, and together the Alarmist crew figures out who's to blame. This month on Guest Alarmist, Georgia Mishak discusses the impeachment of President Georgia. This this is about 20 years in the making. I have been looking for the answer to this. Thousands of dollars spent in therapy. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, but today, who knew? All I needed was... <laughs> Was a podcast, a podcast and a platform? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't start with therapy. Start, start podcast. Start with a podcast. podcast. Yes, yes. Go to patreon.com slash the alarmist and subscribe today. Now on to our episode. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. 
My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the reign of Genghis Khan. Here's what you need to know. Genghis Khan translates to universal ruler, and rightly so, since at the peak of his power, he controlled the largest empire in world history, roughly the size of the entire continent of Africa. He was born in central Mongolia around 1162, and his birth name was Temujin. Temujin was part of the Borjigin tribe, one of many Mongolian tribes that roamed the large landmass to the west of China. His father was Yasuke, a descendant of Kabul Khan, a man who briefly led a united Mongolia against the Qin dynasty of China in the early 1100s. Temujin's legacy, specifically in uniting Mongolia, would be more impactful than Kabul Khan or any Mongolian who came before him. Temujin's childhood was fraught with tragedy. His father was murdered when Temujin was nine. When, after his father's death, the young boy tried to assume control of the Borjigin tribe, he and his family were ostracized and forced to survive on rodents and roots. During this time, Temujin killed his half-brother, Begtor, possibly for stealing food, and he was condemned to five years of slavery as punishment. After he regained his freedom at 16, he married a young woman, Borte, forming an alliance with a neighboring tribe. But shortly after their union, Borte was kidnapped by the Merkit tribe and given to one of their elders as a wife. In a stunning display of bravery, Temujin rescued her from her captors. Later, at the age of 20, he gained more notoriety when he was captured by the Taikiots and escaped unharmed. He slowly accrued an army of 20,000 men and set out to unite the Mongolian people, by force if he had to. Temujin achieved his goal in 1206, when he successfully brought under his power most of the Mongolian tribes. His success was the result of his ruthlessness, swift and decisive military tactics, and the intensive training he provided to his highly disciplined army. It was at this time that he was given the name Chenghis Khan which elevated his status to a deity. And now that Mongolia was united, he knew that China would not be comfortable, and so he immediately sought out the powerful Jin dynasty as his next target. From 1207 to 1214, he conquered, by annexation and war, Siberia and the lands to the west. And by 1214, he accomplished an incredible feat. He forced the powerful Jin Empire to abandon half of their land, allowing Chenghis Khan to reign over 50 million of their subjects. He made an attempt to establish diplomatic relations with the Khwarizm dynasty, a Turkish empire to the west, but was rebuffed by their leadership when they beheaded one of his emissaries. Chenghis Khan responded swiftly and with fierce vengeance by sweeping through their cities and burning them to the ground, killing every living thing, including animals and livestock. Scholars describe the time after this as the Mongolian Peace Era. 
during which Chenghis Khan established a system that, for the time, was very progressive. He outlawed slavery, created a meritocratic government and military, gave tax exemptions to religious institutions, and guaranteed the safety of merchants crossing his vast Mongolian empire. He also instituted the Yasa rule of law, which prohibited blood feuds, adultery, and bearing false witness. Additionally, he had provisions that protected the environment, which included forbidding bathing in rivers and littering. By the time of his death in 1227, the conquests of the 65-year-old ruler had created an empire so vast that it connected the Eastern world to the Western world. Through bloodshed and an insatiable appetite for expansion, Chenghis Khan controlled the largest empire to ever exist. Fun Facts aka Death Stats Chenghis Khan didn't become Chenghis Khan until well into his 40s. Chenghis Khan and his Mongol warriors swept much of Asia, killing approximately 40 million in just 20 years. The Mongols' attacks may have reduced the entire world population by as much as 11%. Everyone who arranged Chenghis Khan's funeral was executed to keep the secret of his location. One in 200 people are said to be direct descendants of Chenghis Khan. At its peak, the Mongol Empire covered 9 million square miles of territory, making it the largest continuous landmass in world history, twice the size of the Roman Empire. The Mongol Empire was the largest empire in the world before the British Empire. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is friend of uh, friend of all, mm-hmm. Dusty Warren. Yeah. yeah, I am friend of all. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever met a, a person who, who you don't get along with? Do you have uh, any enemies, Dusty? Let's just start off. I, because I, think, I don't think I, yeah. no, I don't think I have, well, not the, I was very old before I realized that like, oh, the way I talk about people that I maybe not don't like, I'm that person for some people. Mm. I just was stupid enough to think like, well, I mean, no one hates me though, right? <laughs> <laughs> they certainly do. <laughs> no. Well, I love the confidence and we're just going to go with no one. Yeah. We're okay, just going to go with zero enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. We're excited to have you on the show today uh, to talk about such an epic uh, historical topic. We hear you know a lot about yeah, it. Yeah, we know. We think you're. We you told us. Yeah, that's yeah. why we had you on. Yeah. I'm so excited just to be with some fellow con heads for once. You know, <laughs> it's gonna be great. Yeah, because uh, we all have our own like weird quirks, the specific mm-hmm. things we liked about him, and mm-hmm. it's just gonna be funny to sort of trade stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This swapping swapping tapes like Grateful yeah. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> but Dusty, before we we get into that, uh, mm-hmm. we like to start off the show by asking our guests, "What is something that's recently alarming you? What's keeping you up at night?" Hmm. I mean, besides, I think literally no meaningful pizza innovations in years. Wow. <laughs> I feel like we're just refolding crust on itself in different wow. ways. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Loving that. Uh, 
I think I thought about this the other day, actually. Um, the realization that people aren't necessarily good at their jobs. Mm. Oh, wow. Because I think scary. when you're a kid, as well as I point myself at, as a kid, as a 47 year old kid, um, <laughs> no, like when you're a child, I think you assume that like, oh, that doctor must be good at being a doctor. That lawyer is yeah. good at being a lawyer, teacher, policeman, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, the other day I got cut off by someone totally stupid driving maneuver by someone that was in some sort of professional vehicle. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you drive for a living. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you should be good at this. And then I realized, <laughs> oh, you're you're just another 26-year-old jack off that yeah. doesn't know what they're doing. And it made me think about like, oh, obviously we have a lot of people, you know, like police officers that we've discovered mm -hmm. aren't sure. great mm -hmm. and politicians that we've, yeah. you know, like, yeah. oh man, this is it. And so I think just that's become more scary that a title doesn't necessarily allow you to trust that, that right. person knows what right. they're doing. Yeah. Right. Terrifying. I think about that yeah. all the time when I get on a plane, I'm like, and for the most yeah. part, pilots are usually pretty good at their job. <laughs> <I think> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, we've kind of covered a lot of, you know, there's the Swiss cheese method of, of for pilots where it's like usually the, the best ones rise to the top or something. <laughs> Right. I'm, like, I'm oh, you mean like too. you I'm mean when you put a bunch of Swiss cheese in a bucket then nothing of water? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I think those are two ideas. I'm yeah. confusing yeah. two ideas, but they make perfect sense. Where it's like, sure. I want, I, I have water on top, right? Yeah. Then there's a like 16 slices of Swiss cheese, yeah, 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 yeah. and yeah. then uh, the pilot in the bottom, and usually the pilot doesn't get wet. Right. Yeah. If, if, if the pilot's yeah, eating you're, Swiss you're, cheese yeah, in the car. Yeah. Unless that he's happening. Eating, yeah, he or she is eating Swiss cheese. That's why I, <laughs> I order my coffee. Like, yeah, coffee with Swiss cheese, please, because the Swiss cheese always rises to the top. <laughs> I, I apologize because I definitely made this more complicated than it needed to be. And uh, that's just get ready to make uh, the reign of Genghis Khan a little more complicated than it needed to be uh, okay. as we try our best. It's very complicated. Right. How are we going to make it more complicated with Swiss cheese? Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't okay. put it past yeah. us. We 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 can we do it. We need to use the Swiss cheese method during this podcast to make so that the facts will rise to the top. Okay, mm. great. That's good. I like that. Here's a here's a silly question, possibly okay. stupid. When we are dealing with who is to blame, yeah. are we talking about the rise of the this is fall a good question. of very good question. good question. Incredible question. You're already uh, a plus guest. <laughs> Yes. Congrats. <laughs> yes. Thank you for not being drunk also, by the hey, way. Yes. Hey, I, I'm, all, I'm all friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the answer to that question is, I think we're blaming, I want to blame like the, the bloodshed. <laughs> I think the incredible massive amount, the massive amount of bloodshed mm -hmm, that happened mm -hmm. during the conquering of all of these territories right gotcha 
Right. I so, think. So yes, the expansion, right? the bloodshed that that all the bloodshed during the expansion years of the Mongolian yes. Empire with right. Genghis gotcha. Khan as, as leader. And what we led will learn... by Genghis Khan, but also what was influencing. I mean, maybe we maybe we just land on Genghis Khan, but it could be bigger, broader influence. Yeah, that's already my answer. So I'm going to go on mute. <laughs> <laughs> However long, we'll take it from here, Dusty. Thanks for joining us. Have a nice podcast. Yeah. <laughs> just text me when you're ready to. For the, for the end when you yeah. say goodbye <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um i okay so yes I, as we will learn this is obviously way he's more, it's more complicated than that just just the bloodshed of course mm-hmm. um and it's always from the perspective like whose perspective are you looking at it from, yeah right 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 i think we should start off by discussing the cons upbringing okay okay and for the record actually his name was not genghis khan actually they 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 also refer to him as as chingis khan yeah that's, that's how the mongolians the, yeah, yeah. Uh, i feel like that's Chinggis. the in the last 10 years we changed how we said yes. that kind of thing so chingis khan was actually his his birth name was timujin um and he actually like it uh, went through um, a difficult, he had a difficult childhood. Yeah, I'm going right. to read uh, something from history.com. From an early age, Chinggis was forced to contend with the brutality of life on the Mongolian steppe. Rival Tatars poisoned his father when he was only nine and his own tribe later expelled his family and late left his mother to raise her seven children alone. Chinggis grew up hunting and foraging to survive. And as an adolescent, he may have even murdered his own half brother in a dispute over food. During his teenage years, rival clans abducted both he and his young wife and Chinggis spent time as a slave before making a daring escape. Despite all these hardships, by his early 20s, he had established himself as a formidable warrior and leader. After amassing an army of supporters, he began forging alliances with the heads of important tribes. By 1206, he had successfully consolidated the steppe confederations under his banner and began to turn his attention to outside conquest. This is from Live Science. We know little of Temujin's early life, but it's reasonable to suppose that as the years rolled by and childhood turned into youth, he was brought up in the hard and harsh atmosphere of nomadic life in which the tribal lords and chiefs fought, drank, and dueled, married, and slept with their weapons underneath them, a rigorous life in which chiefs shared the miseries, hungers, and privations of their people um and what else can we say here uh there's a lot to read so i'm going to try and uh yeah well the other sort of meaningful event for in his young life was when um he tried to take over his tribe but the sort of uh when he was when his dad died at nine but they basically gave him the boot and his family and then they had to basically live as outcasts yes for some you know seven or eight years and he never forgot how his own community abandoned him right he never forgave that something i read mm-hmm. during all my research this, mm-hmm. this was of course years ago when i was right. when you were starting my, off your getting research. my phd yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the his dad was poisoned when he took dad took 
right. Temujin, Temujin yeah. to the other tribe mm-hmm. to figure out the arranged marriage for Correct. him as an mm-hmm. eight-year-old. Correct. Right. Yes. Which is bonkers. So he he was taken. Okay, so they they were going to arrange the marriage. Temujin is taken to the camp of where this young girl is, and I guess it was custom to then leave the boy with the young girl's family, and then they would grow up and eventually marry. Mm. When the father is returning back to his family, he gets poisoned, and Mm. Temujin is then has to make a decision at nine years old. Okay, let's remember he's nine years old to either stay with this the family of right. his bride to be or to return to his mother and help them throughout this difficult time period. Mm-hmm. So already at eight, nine, making really difficult decisions mm-hmm. um, and, and, and really feeling that kind of the, the weight of, of responsibility. Forced to grow up pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, potentially traumatic experience on which he sort of, I guess, you know, started to build his sort of, like Clayton is saying, just ability to be decisive and endure great, great pain. And also maybe, you know, be strategic with his choices. I guess he had a a, a moment there where he had to be strategic, I guess. Do we want this on the board? Yes. I think think his, his, his tough Tough childhood, tough upbringing. Okay. Uh, Another thing that happened uh, during his teenage years, I mean, after he killed his half brother. So I don't know. Which back then I feel like teenage years means your thirties. Yes. Now. (laughs) Entry middle age. Yes. I'm so glad you pointed that because he lived to 65. Right. If you think about that, that's like 200. Yeah. Now. Well, and did you read he died kind of as a result of injuries of falling off a horse? At 65. At 65, which is just like the equivalent of grandma breaking her hip going down the stairs 800 years ago. Like, oh, I was riding my horse at 65 and fell off. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's wild that he lived for that long. He, I mean, and then his, his wife, who he married, he does eventually marry the, the, the girl that, so the girl from the, when he was nine years old does become his wife later. That's hmm. Borta? Yeah, that's yeah, oh, wow. that's her. Oh, I didn't know that. So she eventually they after he kills his half brother, he there's a time period I'm I, I'm a little fuzzy on. He's he's like, I don't know if he's made a slave then because he killed his half brother. Yeah, that's what I read. That's okay. But then he's not saying. Let's also his... remember this is a crazy 800 year old game of telephone at yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't hold us to any of this, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he um, he uh, he's not saved by his own family, but I think some uh, uh, strangers eventually help him escape. Mm-hmm. And he returns to his family and the the girl comes back. She's waited for him. And they get married and then she's kidnapped and then he has to save her from uh, being kidnapped. So really tumultuous time, Mm -hmm. like pre 30, uh, Temujin didn't have it easy. No, no. But let's, let's keep, let's keep discussing. So that happens. (laughs) 
It's so, so but whatever. Yeah. Tough luck, bud. Tough luck. I mean, who cares really? Um, so get over it. Yeah. And... Grow up. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it was uh, 11. Look, I, I never lived through the 1100s. I hope, to, as, as I've said before, I hope to never time travel as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not. Especially I'm not, not there. I'm not interested in it, but I, from what I've read, 1100s, tough time to have been born, to have lived yes, through. Right. Not my preferred choice of like years, mm-hmm. I think. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Very uh, and, I, and I don't think mine either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> hmm. um, okay, so let's put up frustration with lack of government order. I know it's kind of not, it's not catchy. We can work on it. Are we you talking about it. the sort of Mongolian sort of nomadic uh, tribe sort of? Uh, yeah. You're, and like how, whose how frustration? This is um, I think Genghis's it was, frustration? Yes, yes. The Khan's okay. frustration. Yes. Okay. This is from Live Science. As Chinggis Khan took over more land, he made innovations in the form of government and organization. Once he had conquered territories beyond Mongolia, he instituted a more sophisticated administrative structure and a regular system of taxation. Uh, an associ- uh, Morris Rossaby, an associate adjunct professor in the Department of East Asia, Asian Languages and Cultural Cultures at Columbia University wrote in a section of the book Genghis Khan and the Mongol Empire, recruiting captured Turks, Chinese, and others, he began to devise a more stable system that could contribute to a more orderly government with specialized official positions. He devised a system of laws and regulations. In accordance and agreement with his own mind, he established a rule for every occasion and a regulation for every circumstance. While for every crime, he fixed a penalty. Uh, Obedience and loyalty were crucial elements of control for such a vast empire. Years earlier, Chinggis Khan had ordered a secret set of laws called the Yasa to be written down. The, The word Yasa meant order or decree. And the code was rife with capital crimes, crimes punishable by death, such as failing to obey orders from one's superior, Dissent and disobedience were dealt with severely, and entire towns would suffer if the seeds of a rebellion were discovered. Mm. The code gave preference to nomadic people such as the Mongols over settled groups, uh, groups such as the Chinese in its realm. So he wanted, he set up a lot of rules. Yeah, this is like Old Testament. He's like in, like setting down some laws for some order, it sounds like. Right, and then what you're saying is that, you know, you're extrapolating that because he did that, that you think the Mongolia he grew up in was what he wanted to try and improve upon, which was this chaotic sort of tribal, and they were all always clashing. Well, nomad- there were many and they were leaders. nomadic. Right. They were, they were disparate. They had different interests, mm-hmm. different areas, roamed around, that kind of thing. Yes, I think different he had skills. A, different, different skills. skills. I think he had a, a a desire to unite Mongolia, and that is a hard thing to do mm-hmm. in a, a kind of nomadic right. culture. Gotcha. Pre-internet. <laughs> <laughs> before i can put something up on facebook encouraging people hey do y'all want to come together yeah you have to do it the old-fashioned way 
um, it's funny you say that though, but he did um, create a system which we'll read about later. I'm, I'm kind of jumping around now and I'm going to pinch, I'm going to, you know, get mad at myself for doing this, but there was like a Pony Express like courier system mm-hmm. where he would, information would travel back and forth. It was mm. like set up, mm. especially because people um, at the time, not many people knew how to read. And so it was more like a word of mouth. Like, I, I, I don't know how, how the system <laughs> actually This is worked. that telephone game. We're <laughs> yeah, but it's, 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 I'm assuming like, I don't know, it's a guy on a horse and he rides for like 20 miles to another guy on a horse. <laughs> right. This is how I imagine yeah, it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's yeah. probably not <laughs> really <laughs> far off. Yeah. This is pre-singing telegrams, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Is it fair to say that uh, Chengus was a little type A? seems like, like he was really um like he definitely doesn't seem chill and laid back right like, not, yeah, the fact that it says he had a a rule for every like yeah. everything yeah totally Maybe a little ocd when clearly yeah. that isn't the case but yeah <laughs> yeah i think i think let's put that up on the board for sure his just sort of the personality of he's kind of he seems bossy yeah. Imagine he was born into like a, a California like surfer family. Like he would have really not been Mm-mm. cool. No. Yeah, exactly. It's the one case where the kid's like, can't I get shipped away to military school? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The exactly. opposite of Bill and Ted, where I yeah. first became familiar with it. <laughs> um, okay. There's too too much to cover. No, you're doing I, I want to put up you're meritocracy. Okay. Okay. Tell, tell, tell us about it. So this was a tool that he actually used to his advantage. You know, we don't live in a merit- mer- meritocratic society right now, but I think he like really wanted to um, set this up. This is from Discover Mongolia. He managed to recruit the best and brightest men for the most important positions in his empire under Yasa is the law chiefs and generals were selected based on merit religious tolerance was guaranteed and thievery and vandalizing of civilian property was strictly forbidden he was also a feminist he worshipped his mother who raised her five children on her own and respected his wife Borte to the fullest not only the royal women but even the ordinary women of his empire played essential roles in running and maintaining the structure during their men's prolonged absence due to the numerous battles they were sent to by bearing such democratic mindset which cherished gender equality and treasured talents or mastered meritocracy chinggis khan was able to leverage on the full potential of his people I think we should put a little asterisk. Yes, by this is a feminist. very idealized <laughs> version yeah. no, of no, what I that just... is. Like, feminist, <laughs> if you're a woman in my family, definitely not feminist for any of the other women around. Which means family man. <laughs> More so than feminist. Yeah, he liked his family. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah, like at the time, I believe, like, you know, if you conquered a land or a people, you know, it was very common for there to be uh, pillaging and raping. And yes. it was like very vicious in that regard. And he was notoriously would sort of spread his seed so to speak yeah uh you know uh, all over uh as a as a form of sort of control and mm. as a as a form and of feminism 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could call that feminism. Yeah. A form yeah, of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you hold it up in the light and kind of tilt yeah. it and squint if you, a little bit. If you hold it real close and blur your eyes and then pull it back slowly. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so... But but the idea of meritocracy, going back to meritocracy, he really used that. He was, it, it's funny because we were just talking about how he's a family man, right? Right. Quote, quote mm-hmm. unquote, a family man for women. Mm-hmm. But when it came to setting people up in his army and right. and succession, like he really li- the did, li- had no loyalty to his own family or clan. One could say based on his trauma from childhood. And in the context of like, lineage was really important in terms of passing down these positions, right? So yes. mm. at the time, it's like if your dad was such and such in this sort of arist- aristocracy and sort of ruled over this land, naturally you, his son, would sort of take over that land. But he was basically like, no, we're not doing that anymore. Right. You're Just because you're, you're the son of so-and-so doesn't mean right. who... Uh, Runs so a, he's a milk not farm. the fan of yeah. He's not a nepo baby fan. He was anti. <laughs> he was anti nepo yes. baby. He would be very. That's a very good point. Clayton. Him, him and Gwyneth he Paltrow, would be right? Both, all, two of them he were. He would be on Twitter <laughs> yeah. posting all the time about nepo babies. And He'd be calling out all these universities for their yeah. oh, par- totally. parents and the kids getting. <laughs> and then yeah. he would. He would destroy just burn them down. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It just burned down, burned yeah, down, down Harvard. Harvard yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> well, had a good run. <laughs> so it sounds like this episode is who's to blame for him being a really good dude. <laughs> we should get into With the bad stuff. Yeah. We should get into the really bad yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay, so he had an obsession with succession, right? His own, his uh, own, his own, the survival of his own little clan um and and this was part of the reason why he uh why he well this became the con really flies in the face of his uh meritocracy thing but anyway go on yeah i'm gonna jump a little bit to um his desire for riches and power okay okay and okay, it's hard because I don't know if I I totally think that he actually had a desire for riches and power. I think Ooh. to a certain extent, I think he did, but I think, and we'll talk about it later. I think he also accidentally had a talent for being an extremely ruthless slash good conqueror right if that's what the point you know (laughs) yeah i know what you mean and is this what you're talking about like when he basically united all of mongolia in 1206 he like notoriously went into this like cave or like tent for three days and he came out and he was like okay we're attacking the Jin dynasty and we're gonna kill them and that that was the large empire to his southeast which was china yeah and the reason i i read some of this the reason he did that you can kind of say is that because they were going to pick him as a target exactly mm-hmm. so, they so were, it was like self-defense at first in a sense <laughs> it, right. it's, well i you can't call it self-defense <laughs> right. um it was uh, survival for yeah. survival get ahead of the problem yeah get ahead yes. of the problem there you go and i think a big part of it was also he wanted to secure his bo- his own borders right right 
So um, is that is there a way we can sum that like not like survival of the fittest, but like survival? It's almost like I don't know. Is it just like wartime? One step one step ahead is pretty good. But put but step like, S T E P P E like the like the mm, Mongolian land, one step mm. ahead. But but he was yeah, or maybe good point, because like what is the thing of like just I don't think he had a instinct. plan to like over It's like a self-preservation. Yes. His and and it's almost like an ang- a focus, like a right. not an anxiety, but like a a focus on self preservation. Yeah, like an, ex- an excessive self preservation. Yeah, an obsession. What do you call it when you're like with... like zeroed in? You're just you can't um, stop thinking about obsessed, it. An obsession, yeah. obsession. In the zone. You're in the zone. <laughs> yeah. There's that famous. It was scene. in the zone of self preservation. Can we put that up? There's yeah. a famous scene in uh, The Godfather where uh, Don Corleone keeps going over the plan with Michael, uh, and this is like as he's about to die, and he just keeps telling. And, and Michael, at a certain point, goes, "Dad, we've talked about this a hundred times." But I think that there's like a like you're saying, he when you have a position of power, you're always concerned about who's coming after you or how you could lose that power. Mm. Maybe that's also, I kind of like that, like just by nature of him being the most powerful, the the most powerful, like you you are, yeah, naturally a target. Yeah. So what is that? It's the vulnerability of power. Yeah, the the risk of being on top. (laughs) Chris the goes, vulnerability wow. of power. That's yeah, an oxymoron, but it makes that's sense. That's the next rep, nice, the next book she's going to read from. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and did also you though, steal that? No, that's a good title. <laughs> but the vulnerability of power, which I actually really love, is also like speaks to a certain level of narcissism, I feel like. Totally. Oh my God. Totally. Narcissism. You can't be Put a conqueror and not be a narcissist. Yeah. I, yeah. I just don't think. No, I think that's true. It's possible. Um, I love okay, both yeah. of those ideas. Put, put those up. Great. He also had a general thirst for revenge. Mm. <laughs> As I, I mean, this this all tracks. Okay. Um, this is from biography. Through a combination of outstanding military tactics and merciless brutality, Temujin avenged his father's murder by decimating the Tatar army and ordered the killing of every Tatar male who was more than approximately three feet tall. So right. Wow. This you know how they above a barrel or something. No, uh, they, uh, they did it by measuring a. a, a a wheel from a wagon wheel. Uh-huh. The idea being, if you were younger, then you were more moldable. Like you, you could be molded so that they could, they could well, teach you, could, you yeah. indoctrinate you, in, basically. indoctrinate uh-huh. you exactly. Mm-hmm. And something from like that has to come at least partially from him having to make such crazy decisions at eight years old, knowing yes. what people that young slash small yeah. are capable of, based on like, well, I was making huge decisions at that age, so I know. Wow. I know you can. True. Yeah. True. Um, look, usually we're going to, we start breaking things down, but I'm going to take some extra time to keep discussing because there's still I want to cover. Yeah. And okay. then I just want us all to make a promise that we're going to go through this list and knock things off the board. Like, like Chang'e Khan would go Very through. efficiently. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, good. Yes. We're going to conquer this. Yes. <laughs> nice. Okay. This is from History Extra. I want to talk about this uh, relationship he had with a best friend, which says a lot about him. Timujin was desperate to get revenge, but he knew he couldn't do so on his own. A man who seeks power needs friends with power, he would later write. So he sought to secure another alliance, this time with a formidable leader named uh, Togrul. 
Temujin won over Togrul by reminding him that he had fought alongside his father and sugarcoated the offer with a lavish sable coat. The gambit worked. With the aid of Togrul's fighters, Temujin attacked the Merkit and won back his wife. This hmm. is when she was kidnapped. We destroyed their families and emptied their breasts, he said. By putting a powerful tribe to sword, Temujin's ascent to becoming the ultimate power in Mongolia had well and truly begun. Someone, however, stood in his way, and it was one of, the gr one of his greatest friends. Mm. Temujin had been blood brothers with a fellow warrior named Jamuka, also the son of a Mongolian tribal leader, for a number of years. In fact, Jamuka had played an instrumental role in the defeat of Merkit. Yet, as the two had grown older, cracks began to appear in their friendship. Jamuka had grown distrustful of Temujin's growing power, especially his penchant for meritocracy, promoting people on the basis of their talent rather than their breeding. Soon, his distrust morphed into outright war. When Jamuka struck, it was with bloodthirsty ferocity. He defeated Temujin's fighters high on the plateau of central Mongolia and then had Temujin's captured generals boiled alive. Mm. What a time. The earth was soaked with the blood of my warriors, wrote Temujin. Never again would I be defeated and my loyal warriors so dishonored. He was good to his word. And when his revenge came, it was total. Temujin's army fell on Jamuka's warriors in the summer of 1204, defeating them in a blizzard of arrows and cavalry charges. Then a few months later, Jamuka was captured. Rather than dish out a fate similar to what befell his generals, though, Temujin showed him mercy up to, up to a point. Jamuka asked for a noble death, which meant without the shedding of blood. His former friend granted him that, so had his back broken. <laughs> I'll take blood, please. Yes. <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, I back. <laughs> this is your best, your blood brother. Right. So a couple of things, which, which is one, he offered this guy a sort of, a, you know, a he offered him mercy. Yeah, do over. You want to? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And and um and the other, but the other thing is that obsession obsessed with not losing face right mm. he got yeah. his, his generals got boiled he could dishonored that word really yeah. out to me yeah. yeah yeah this is the the other thing that isn't talked about in this little excerpt is the fact that the two of them were up and coming like rising leaders at mm. the time and it, it was a rivalry who was gonna who was going to be the leader? Mm, who the was going to be the Khan? Right. And Jamuka, I mean, kind of won. <laughs> and then there, there's like at first, and then there, there's a, a period in history where uh, Temujin is, it's like 10 years where they don't know where he is. He just like disappears. Mm. And mm. then he comes back and just takes it all. <laughs> right. And if you think about it, like, his conquest, his um, expansion doesn't start until 1206. And he dies in, what is it, uh, 1220, 1222? 27, he dies. Sorry, okay. So we're talking about like 20 years. He did it all in 20 years. Yeah. That's a lot of land to, to travel. Right. By horse. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Completely. Um. And maybe we can put that up on the board. I mean, is is it just sort of the 
the does the pacing of this because a lot of his a lot of his strategy in terms of attack was based on kind of people fearing him right and yeah sort of the, his sort of myth grew to be bigger than what he actually brought to the table so and he like totally played into that and his rapid rise to and the, the extremely extremely fast growth of his empire was probably a part of that so i don't know how we put that into i was gonna a, call it good bad pr good bad pr okay good he has good bad pr yeah like, like he's playing a, into yeah, yeah. the myth kind of yes right 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 but but before we go there, I want to make sure we have his his talent for expansion. Okay. Um, just like I don't know, he was born he he's born with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's Maybelline. I yeah. mean that, that's where I was going, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's tyranny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it's tyranny. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and also like an accident like we were discussing earlier like he i don't think he meant to take over the world like he had this master plan but mm -hmm. i think because of his situation he just did it. it those when those two things got came together his like need to protect his borders his need to, for survival and his just like natural talent for being a conqueror right yeah no one's gonna stop me mm -hmm. let's put up good bad pr right okay. uh, because that. the mong the mongols were they were really not concerned with getting a bad reputation and in fact it was ac actually encouraged because hmm. this reputation helped make the the siege sieges cgi see <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> easier so it, it, it made that because everyone's like, afraid of you they know you're coming exactly. and they go, these guys and, are murderers yes and and yeah. sometimes the city would lit cities would instead of like fighting back they would just open their Leave. doors mm. no in hopes that they would have like a little oh. have some mercy have mercy on, on, yeah. on them yeah he we'll, did just, a, we'll, we'll just join you if that's yeah, cool whatever you want oh you're here yeah. oh uh, i did hear about you we made cookies <laughs> One of his tactics was lining up his troops in single file so that when it looked like they were coming over the hill or whatever, they looked like there were more of them. Mm. And then another one was he told everybody to light multiple fires. At yeah, night. I read that. Yeah, that so that when an, an army would see them across the way, they'd be like, whoa, yeah, we're screwed. Well, and the other genius thing he did was he would put, as he moved forward to the next territory, he would leave X amount of his loyal troops in that previous one so that he had insiders so there wasn't going to be a mutiny of any kind mm -hmm. he oh, always had yeah. he always had people with their ear to the ground that mm. were gonna call out any sort of like talk of a mutiny or whatever he kept control he knew how to mm -hmm. um this is from britannica organization discipline mobility and ruthlessness of purpose were the fundamental factors in his military success Massacres of defeated po populations with the resultant terror were weapons he regularly used. His practice of summoning cities to surrender and of organizing the methodical slaughter of those who did not submit has been described as psychological warfare. But although it was undoubtedly uh, policy to sap resistance by fostering terror, massacre was used for its own sake. Mongol practice, especially in the war against 
the Quaresmian Empire was to send agents to demoralize and divide garrisons and populace of an enemy city, mixing threats with promises. The Mongols' reputation for frightfulness often paralyzed their captives who allowed mm. themselves to be killed when resistance or flight was not possible. Indeed, the Mongols were unaccountable. Uh, resistance brought certain destruction. Uh, but at Balkh, now in Afghanistan, the population was slaughtered in spite of a prompt surrender for tactical reasons. I this uh -huh, something that you just read uh, that maybe we can put on the board is you said like the Mongols were unaccountable. Perhaps this like the lack of like um, what is it like there are now like international like war treaties and stuff right? yeah like there are things that even like when you're in war that are like considered war crimes and certainly that this was not there was no consideration that that's why they could be so horrific so maybe the, the lack of like any kind of like war <laughs> like uh, a world wars of, <laughs> war of rules of war just allowed him to be so mm. successful because he could be so vicious with like no yeah he didn't have allies weren't going to call him out for doing something yeah, that they agreed like, wasn't couth or whatever yeah right again it helps i, I bet he was bad on christmas even <laughs> <laughs> no presents for him <laughs> i want to talk about the this uh quaresmian empire right and the conquest of this empire don't act like you were going there next chris no, <laughs> right right yeah uh, next on my list too i've been wondering when we're going to talk about the chorus finally it's like yeah, that's what i could right really there. shine <laughs> unlike chris i had never heard of the Quaresmian empire jeez <laughs> oh, and i i was um in uh you know learning about it they were apparently like a, they were in present day central asia afghanistan and iran and there were an up and coming empire in the, you know, 1100, 10, 11, 1200s. Okay. Uh, I guess this is the 13th century when they end. In just two years, the Mongol army brought the entire empire down. It was the site of some of the Khan's bloodiest battles and, and seizures of, of cities. Mm -hmm. This is from a biography. The Mongol diplomatic mission was attacked by the governor of Otrar, who possibly believed the caravan was a cover for a spy mission. This is when the um, this is when they enter the Quaresmian Empire. Right. So this is how it goes down. When Genghis Khan heard of this affront, he demanded the governor be extradited to him and sent a diplomat to retrieve him. Shah Muhammad, the leader of the Khwarizm dynasty, not only refused the demand, but in defiance, sent back the head of the Mongol diplomat. Mm. This act released a fury that would sweep through Central Asia and into Eastern Europe. In 1219, Chinggis Khan personally took control of planning and executing a three-pronged attack of two, uh, 200,000 Mongol soldiers against the Khwarezmian dynasty. Um, and then this is from The Guardian. This is an article in The Guardian about the, the uh, what, just one of the cities that was part of the Khwarezmian Empire. Modern-day visitors to the site of Merv in southern Turkmenistan can still tour its dusty, windswept remains. Like Curzon, they might struggle to imagine the true size, 
density and lushness of one of the world's greatest vanished cities. In its 12th century pomp, Merv straddled the uh, prosperous trade routes of the Silk Road. It was a capital of the Seljuk Sultanate that extended from Central Asia to the Mediterranean. According to some estimates, Merv was the biggest city in the world in A.D. 1200, with a population of more than half a million people. But only decades later, the city was effectively raised by the armies of Genghis Khan in a grisly conquest. According to the Arab historian Ibn al-Atir, who based his account on the reports of refugees from Merv, quote, Genghis Khan sat on a golden throne and ordered the troops who had been seized should be brought before him. When they were in front of him, they were executed and the people looked on and wept. When it came to the common people, they separated men, women, children, and possessions. It was a memorable day for shrieking and weeping and wailing. They took the wealthy people and beat them and tortured them with all sorts of cruelties in the search for wealth. Then they set fire to the city and burned the tomb of Sultan Sanjar and dug up his grave looking for money. They said, quote, these people have resisted us, so they killed them all. Then Chinggis Khan ordered the dead, that, that the dead should be counted, and there were around 700,000 corpses. Jeez. And this is just one account of, of one city. Another nearby city, which happened to be the scene of one of the Khan's sons-in-law's murder, where he died. Right. They captured that city. He asked his daughter, the widow, what they should do with the city. She said, destroy it. Everyone was slaughtered. And the death toll is said to have exceeded Merv's death toll. So, I mean, mm. there was so much bloodshed during this time. Mm -hmm. Is there a is there an element of just after you know seven hundred thousand and then going to the next city is part of the blame? Just a numbness to the value of mm. human I life like at yeah. this point. Yes. Yeah, I like that. And at this point, he's been doing it for a while now. That, like, it just doesn't mean anything to yeah. him right, right now. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I mean, he watched, I don't know if he watched all 700,000 individually, get, but if they were all brought up before him, just, there's no, yeah, no. he doesn't have feelings at that point. Right. Yeah. No lack yeah. of humanity there. Right, right. That's good. That's been shut down. That's been shut mm. off. He turned that off. Turned it off. Yeah. Mm, I know we're running out of time. And I think we just have to. We got to go to the. We just board. have to go to the, the. We have to take our next steps. Okay. And I'm sure that we're missing. Oh, <laughs> we are missing a big important one. Let's put Him? Genghis Khan up on yeah. the board. <laughs> <laughs> Just Get him out. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's another interesting thing I wanted to discuss, which was uh, perhaps like the actual climate was a, a big factor really? in this. Um, like yeah. politically or? No, the actual earth. Like the, like the or, okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, National Science Foundation, this is an excerpt from their site. Climate was very much on Genghis, uh, Chinggis Khan's side oh, right. as he expanded his Mongol empire across northeastern Asia. The link between Mongolia's climate and its human history echoes down the centuries, according to findings reported in the journal uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. But climate may no longer be the boon it was during the latter, wetter parts of Chinggis's reign. The early years were marked by drought. Mongolia's <laughs> current drought conditions could have serious consequences for the Asia region's human and other inhabitants. Scientists found the rapid expansion of Chinggis Khan's empire uh, coincided with the wettest period in the region during the last millennium. Through a careful analysis of tree ring records spanning 11 centuries, the researchers have provided valuable information about a period of great significance. Though political uh, realities would also have played into Chinggis Khan's power, Chen Khan's power grab, the regional climate at the time appears to have supported his empire's expansion. The climate provided literal horsepower as armies and their horses fed off the fertile, rain-fed land. Oh, wow, okay. Such a that strong and unified center would have required a concentration of resources that only higher productivity could have sustained in a land in which extensive pastoral production does not normally provide surplus resources. Wow. Mm. Interesting. So that's a take. Okay. Let's put it up on the board and probably knock it off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just going through the motions <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> but uh let's take a quick break actually and then we'll start knocking things off the board cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. 
Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Alarmist. Who is to blame for the reign of Chinggis Khan? Is it tough upbringing? Chinggis's frustration with a lack of government order? Type A slash bossy pants personality? Meritocracy? His obsession with succession? His desire for riches and power? One, quote, step, S-T-E-P-P-E, ahead of the enemy? Obsessive self-preservation, the vulnerability of power, narcissism, thirst for revenge, good-bad PR, talent for expansion, no rules of war, conquest of the Quaresmian Empire, numbness to human life, Chinggis Khan, or the climate of the time. It's a huge board. It's a good board. We don't mm-hmm. have a lot of jokes on this board. No. Which makes it a harder board. But you guys did promise to. Uh, well, you're talking make to three this... experts. Here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Again, we're con heads. We're just. <laughs> we meet every year at Con Con. Con Con. It's got to be a thing, by the yeah, way. Yeah, right? it probably is. <laughs> um, okay, what are we. Get? We can fold things into yes. each other. You know what? Sorry, just to one more thing I want to add. I just want to add China. And like we said earlier, I think like this whole idea that he wanted to take over the world, there's not much there. It was more like we said, he sort of saw China and he knew that they would, the Jin dynasty would not like what was going on in Mongolia. So right. it was sort of a reaction to that. And I think that I think it's a big player in this context. I'm not sure. I think that, that it then folds into survival, his, yeah. his like need for survival. Yeah, then. maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But I do want to just acknowledge that. Okay. Yeah, because I also feel like defeating that portion of China had to feed into the, well, crap, if we did that, if we, if we defeated the territory yeah. that was right, behind right. this huge wall, then why not keep going? Because yeah. we already started with the toughest, so this should be a breeze from here right, on out. Right, right. So w- do we have survival up on the board? Yeah, Did... we have obsessive self-preservation, I guess. Is yeah. That oh, yeah. Sort of... mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, so then let's fold China into that. China into obsessive self-preservation. Okay. Yeah. I feel like you could also fold one step ahead of the enemy into the vulnerability of power. Uh-huh, Yes. And the desire for uh, riches and power. I just don't feel like that was what it was. That was a byproduct, I feel Uh like. I mean, look, I don't think he was... A cool one. (laughs) Yeah, like... It was a cool byproduct, He definitely (laughs) took the riches. He didn't leave them behind. Um... Hmm. Okay. What about, like, uh, lack of government order? Is that folded into meritocracy? Mm-hmm. Uh, or vice versa, maybe? 
No. I think it maybe folds into the no rules of war. Yes. What the frustration uh, oh, with well, lack of government? Well, I guess that's uh, speaking I guess that to yeah. the nomadic uh, uh, way of life in Mongolia. True. Um, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. I no. <laughs> shouldn't be here. Dusty, if you can uh, just uh, to the top left, there's the mute button. Yeah. yeah. If you could just I hit that. We talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> I, I feel like type A bossy pants personality is more than that. If anything, he's more of a narcissist, right? Yeah, probably. In, in honor of Genghis Khan, I want to just raise this board and just burn down all of these things. So let's just go tough upbringing, Genghis frustration with lack of government order, narcissism, thirst for revenge, talent for expansion. Roll it all up into a, uh, obsessive self-preservation or the vulnerability of power, which are two the two biggies. I feel, mm. I do like that. I do okay. think, yeah, obsessive self-preservation is uh, a big player in this, yeah. for sure. And what I feel he- like meritocracy, uh, it was just a tool he used. Yeah, that was just a brilliant strategy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it was. And and the other one was he would give uh, tax breaks to religion, to religious mm-hmm. religious and uh, institutions. And then I re- you, re- you read about that. And it was basically a, a play because he was like, if people were get have their religion, they will be less likely to uh, form uprisings against mm-hmm. them. Okay. I feel like you take off numbness to human life um, no offense taken. Jesus, my contribution. <laughs> well, I actually was going to say that the conquest of the court Resmian Empire folds into the numbness of to human life. I actually, I think it could be vice versa. Yeah, and I, I don't mean that. I don't say that lightly. I mean it just like it seems like there were so many other factors before, like even just like childhood stuff that were like led to this like really awful. Uh, yeah, that was late in the game. Yeah. Okay. Good, bad PR, another tactic, like another tool, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Thirst for revenge, I do like that because it's personal. Sure. Talent yeah. for expansion, I feel like we can fold that into his obsessive self-preservation, perhaps. Or just him. He, it or was, him. It's, it, or like the other type A. Yeah, 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 like type A folds into Chinggis. There's something on, I, right? I ch- talent for expansion is such a fun idea. I almost want to like support. And that's that what I want certain. people to come away with this <laughs> from this with is just this idea of fun, of expansion and fun. Well, okay, if you're having fun, raising, <laughs> then we're doing our job. Yeah, <laughs> light that fire with a smile. <laughs> Jeez. Um. No rules of war, I think, can go off the board because uh, he probably I, wouldn't have cared. I exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think we're it was bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the climate of the time, I think, goes off the board because yeah, there's I, just not I, enough evidence there. No, I guess not. But that one's great. Okay, we're left with obsessive self-preservation, the vulnerability of power. Thirst for revenge, numbness to human life, and Chengis Khan. And just how he's just how he's wired his DNA. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think just his essence. Yeah, okay. his love language. <laughs> oh, God, murder. My love oh, language. Domination. Is murder. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Obsessive self-preservation. I feel like that makes him more of a victim and reactionary. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if he really just wanted, if he really did just want to preserve himself, then he would have stopped. I think it becomes more like the vulnerability he found himself with that power. Well, the the Quaresmian Empire destruction sort of flies in the face of the self-preservation, right. I think. Yeah. I think that plays more into the vulnerability. I do, and I do think that's a really specific moment um, that stands out. And it, I think it plays into the vulnerability of power, right? Where he's got this power and he becomes... Uh, I guess he, you know, he has to make a stand for mm -hmm. the honor of the people he sent over there. Otherwise, like he will per be perceived and it turns into, you know. Yeah. Perception is perception. everything. So he's got to maintain it. And probably a paranoia that he's going to lose at any moment. Yeah. Uh huh. So let's take obsessive self-preservation off. Okay. I also think we can take a thirst for revenge off, and I'll tell you why. I think... My next we... question. <laughs> why? Why were you going to... No. I think it's because we don't have enough evidence that that was his reasoning for doing... Um, all of this. For doing yeah. all of this. And I think it's it could have been easy for the writers of history, right? You know, history being written by the either the enemy or the, um, or the, the victor, yeah. you know. But in this case, I think it, most of the history we have is written by the 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 people who were um, uh, uh, conquered. Um yeah, there's no evidence of him being like, is that good enough for you, dad? After, <laughs> after everything he does. So I think we just have to take it off. So we're left with three big ones. The vulnerability of power, numbness to human life, and Genghis Khan himself. What do you think? I think we can take off the numbness to human life. Really? I think it was... I just feel I just feel like it was so far after the fact almost of this mm -hmm. train yeah. already starting and uh, but mm -hmm. but dusty if but as far if, as the sheer numbers that's what I'm saying like the bloodshed yeah. if we're really you know zeroing in on 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 the the loss of life here and the destruction that he caused then I think that's a big part of it and what mm -hmm. I think we can I think we can like slap that. Mm. And I think mm. we send to the alarmist jail cons the cons vulnerability of power. Or I don't know if that makes any sense though. In my mind, it was better, but then I said it out loud, and I was like, e "Yeah, because I mean, vulnerability." What if we put it in italics? <laughs> Ooh, does that help? Yeah. <laughs> Read it that way too. All, yeah. all the letters are like all, all the letters. A little zhuzh like, to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it all obviously it goes back to Chinggis Khan and you know his. Well, that was a huge waste of time then. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's like it's not just his talent for expansion, but also his narcissism. His 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 the the part of his him that was very smart and a genius at at, at uh military mm -hmm. but also the the incredibly 
bad parts of him. We're doing a PSA here. We're saying, hey, if you're if you're into power or if you're looking to get more power, careful, because it will put you in a very vulnerable position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Careful what you wish. Power to the people, not to the to the man. Just to the power, not power to the power power to the person. Not power to the people, not power to that person. Gotcha. Gotcha. Got it? The people in general. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah, I got get it. it. Now I get it. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm going to, this was tough, but I'm going to call it. All right. Numbness to human life. You're getting the big slap. Chinggis Khan. You're going to the alarmist jail. Wow. Big one to send to the alarmist jail. It really jail. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've got, uh, I mean, I'm a little bit nervous that the jail will sort of rally around him and we're going to have an uprising. Oh, yeah. for sure to be expected. Because he killed all of his enemies. So he doesn't have any enemies in there. No. Mm. no. Much like, oh my God. We it circles back to Dusty, who doesn't have enemies. Oh, yeah. All oh. friend. All friend. <laughs> friend to all. <laughs> friend to all. <laughs> Dusty, thank you so much for joining us today. We really couldn't have done this without you. Well, I mean, it could have been quicker, I guess, but. (laughs) (laughs) We wouldn't have gone this long without you. That's true. We would have been done 20 minutes ago without you. Uh, Congrats. I think this is our longest episode ever. So, yay. Yay. (laughs) Woo. I blame blame Jenkins for that. That's right. See you at ConCon. Yeah, see you at ConCon. In the aftermath, when Chinggis Khan died in 1227, he left his vast empire to his third-born son. Under his son's leadership, Mongolia grew even further, expanding into the Balkans, Persia, and southern China. It reached its peak by the end of the 13th century, but was brought down by fragmented leadership and the bubonic plague. The Alarmist is now on Patreon. Subscribe and get ad-free content along with bonus episodes. Go to patreon.com slash the alarmist or check out the link in our show description. Visit our website, www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at the alarmist podcast and on Twitter at alarmist the. You can also send us your thoughts via email to the at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with editing by Molly Hockey and fact-checking by Chris Smith. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Crystal Dinsberg. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing, did video kill the radio star? The Alarmist. Powered by ACAST. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.